All right, and we are back to the second hour of Barbarian in the Valley. And we are talking about an article that is posted on our website, barbarianinthevalley.com, which is called The Death of the Artist. And we've talked a little bit about the stages of these, what he identifies as the stages of the artist. And by the way, this is like very much in a kind of European, Western tradition. I don't know. He's not really talking about China or anything else. I just want to clarify that that seems like it's very much in a European tradition of what art means. And beginning with the artisan, the playwright, the apprentice, the tradition, that's what he sees as a stage. And then romanticism which is art for art's sake and the kind of inspired genius and all that goes with that. And then to this third thing that he talks about, the institutionalization of art, post-Second World War, American institutionalization, the professional, the MFA, the job, and the corporation as a screen, um, which again, I find really hard to swallow. Uh, to me, this seems like really unnecessary nostalgia. Um, and then I thought we could talk about, as we return into the second, second part of our show, what he sees is the fourth. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying he's, he's making them numerical, but there's clear models that he's talking about. And in this model, this is, uh, this is a model that looks familiar. It's almost like a gig economy model for art, right? Isn't that kind of what he's talking about? You know, you're going to have five different jobs over the course of your life, and they're going to be in different fields, and you're going to be doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you're going to have to cobble it together and kind of entrepreneur your, yourself up into a, a profession. Is that right? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Yeah, and you have to figure out how to sell yourself. You have to figure out, you know, what your fan base, um, what she calls in a very, in a derogatory way, your, your consumers want. And so he, he's very um, nervous, I guess, about art just succumbing to a, what your consumer base wants. He believes that um, it's going to end up being really banal and really safe and um, really verging on entertainment above uh, anything else. And yeah. I'm not sure I agree, but... I think that um, maybe speaking as a 20-year-old, I can say that I see that maybe a little bit more than you guys. Yep. I don't have an Instagram I feel like I'm the only 20-year-old who doesn't. Um, I don't want one, uh, mostly just because I use my phone too much anyway, and it's, like, killing me. And mm -hmm. I'm very, like, much, meh, you know, kind of addicted to it, kind of obsessed with it, kind of can't not have it on me. And I know that, you know, other people my age definitely feel that way. I don't know. In terms of um, this dude's article, he's definitely very... Um, against this idea of people being able to just make their art and sell it and I don't think he's pissed off that there's no middleman I just think he's pissed off that the process is being expedited mm -hmm. um, hmm. you know you think he th you are, do you believe that he thinks it's just too easy and you, you're not putting in your 10,000 hours and because of that you're just not making quality work uh, maybe some of it I think maybe some of it might also have to be along the lines of him thinking that um yeah, no, actually, yeah. It probably does have to do with him thinking that um, if, you, if you play jazz, you call it shedding, right? You go into the shed for 10 years, and you play the same thing over and over until you can play it better than anybody else. Yeah. Um, I don't think that that method makes sense. But I, I, I would agree that I don't necessarily think that the method of just, like, making something and then posting it to Etsy is also can be claimed well, as, like, art. Let me make an argument for it. 
because I've thought about it a fair bit. And I do want to... What I hear in his voice is there's a level of elitism in his voice. Mm-hmm. Like, he's I very hierarchical. Right. He's kind of an elite. Taught and, at Yale. Yeah, taught at Yale and then ended up writing a book about how soft his kids, the students were. So, you know, okay, so this is, he is who he is, you know. And sure. if he was in the room, I'm sure we would enjoy him. But, I, I'm, but based on the article, I'm a little skeptical. Here's the argument, because what he talks about with producerism, I saw that. I saw that kind of rise up. And he talks about Apple was really good at doing that. Well, you know what? They are really good. And the fact is that technology really did change. And a 24-track studio that would have cost you 5000 a day can be fit on your phone now. And that's a real, that's a technological, ecological shift. Now, let me just make an argument for producerism. And this is like a, a, an aspect of the article that's, that's so lovely to read someone as cranky as myself and then just be like, wait a second, I want to hang out with this guy and I want to be a cranky old man because one argument for producerism is, you know, art's a way to process. It's a way in which people process their reality. Now, you can get that by watching a Matthew Barney movie or some, like, work that you really resonate with. I like Matthew Barney. I'm not criticizing him. Like, enjoy that work. You can get that that way. Or, you know, potentially you can help process, even if your video isn't very good, even if your piece of music isn't really good, and it's not really going to find an audience. The act, like what you were talking about making, is a way in which to process. What if there is a future where, like, there is no great artist, actually, and there's just a bunch of people who are, like, making art, but, like, it's not really for anything but the process of making it. They're still getting uh, edifying uh, process out of it. Yeah, I mean, we were just at the beach, and I was, you know, I was really thinking about this because, you know, a lot of people were sitting on their lawn chairs reading. You know, that's what they were doing. And, um, like, they're they're really getting something from that. I, I, I don't think that there's ever going to be a moment where there's not going to be an audience for, 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 for art. I mean, maybe some of the novels that they were reading weren't, considered art we can have this whole I was telling Ian this whole banal conversation about what art is I really do not like that conversation it's like what is a memoir what is you know film verde Um, I just cinema verde I just think it's really silly but um, there is something to be said for the for for a maker to you know sort of step out of the stream of consumerism and start to produce because that process is very um, edifying, like you said, and it is so it really does reveal aspects of reality that you just cannot get any other way to make to be, make your own to stuff. try to make something. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, I, I love. I have to say that I've never hit as an artist, but I love <laughs> making art, and it is true. I love my own art. Well, I love it. That's funny. You know? I hate my art, <laughs> but um. Well, you might be. You end up being way more successful. Than it, you. Yeah. Uh, well, let's hope. I said maybe. Well, cross cross my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> you know. This is why I had you on. Here. You know, it's a weird thing because. If, you know, that that little thought experiment that you had. What if everyone was just making art? You know, and. Yeah. It, you know, there was no hierarchy to the way that that art was produced, and there was no, <laughs> you know, capitalism's fingers like hanging out in there. That would be cool. I'd be into that. It's never going to happen, obviously. Right. Um, you know, there's no way that everyone's just going to be able to say, "Oh, you can make and whatever anybody makes." There's no more value to what 
Lindsay made compared to what Johnny made or whatever. Sure. And um, I think inherently that it's true, but I think that the systems that we uh, are under definitely warp that that perspective. Um, I think the value of what um, th- of what is made will be determined. Then here we go into my business. Will be determined by the audience, the consumer. Mm. So if you make something that resonates with m- more individuals than another person, I mean, then your art will be valued will be va- valued more. Now, will it be more valuable? Who knows? Because, like, to your point, there were many an artist that were discovered after they were dead because something about um, the time at that point really allowed them to surface. Right. I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that... Uh, talking about a communist future of art where everyone's <laughs> equal. I'm just saying that the act of producing it and a lot of people producing it isn't, to me, a negative thing. I don't see producerism as negative because it's a way of processing the world around you. I, th- well, I think that something that's going on in that everybody has access to make whatever they want nowadays and to you know, send it out into the world via the web or, or whatever, I don't know... It, it feels more competitive. I was again. I wasn't alive thirty years ago. I don't know what competition in art was like, but um, I don't like competition very much. I didn't like playing baseball and stuff. I mean, I played some sports and stuff. I would like take my tennis racket and like smash it and stuff. You know, like competition like in me were not really conducive. Okay. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, the same can sort of be said around around making art because then you're not necessarily making art for like the value of the piece itself or for what you're getting out of it. You're making it so other people will like it more than the next guy's art. Well, here, I just have to interject because, you know, we were working as artists before this, the, the age of the internet. And I feel like it was way more competitive back then mm-hmm. because there were only a few slots. There, there just were a handful of slots that people were could fill because the the paycheck was so huge. Like if you got a record deal, if you got a publishing deal, you know there were six figures, and it still works out like that. Sure. Um, now I feel like not in the record industry, you know. And that's a good, we could look at that model because music is really, is a harbinger of the breakdown of like the the old model because, uh, you you know, you would have to print these records. You'd have to like manufacture them. Yeah, but the artists got pretty big deals. Oh, they did back then. They don't now. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Okay. It is an interesting model to look at because... Yeah, it's, it's just changed so but, much. But just to this point of, you know, it's more competitive, I do think that it is, it's, it's, you have to be very scrupulous with how you work and how you present yourself. Sure. And I do think that is, um, you know, I'm in the world of branding. And so this, we talk about this a lot. And this, that fits in perfectly with this entrepreneurialism. Um, but I see it as a creative act. You know, I do see it not only as a creative act, but it's a, sort of a, a value setting act. One of my blog posts I'm, I'm writing today, uh, this week, is about Georgia O'Keeffe and how here we have this woman working in the early 1900s painting oversized f- pictures of flowers. Again, something nothing, there was no context for her work and she became very successful in her time. Why? Because the time allowed it and she knew exactly what she was doing. Mm. Um, so 
there's I, I don't know if there's a formula for it. I think that that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I think any formula around how to make something is not necessarily the best way to make it. I don't know. Actually, I don't know. Form's an interesting idea. If we talk about formula as in, you know... Formal. Right, the different ways in which everybody has presented things in the last however many years or something. Um, I don't know. There was something in the article that I was definitely thinking about, um, and it was his argument around the lines of like how Apple is you know, making these nice products so it's almost as if anybody could make high art on their own laptop and whatever. Um, you know, I would call BS on that, mostly just because I think you can make high art with any material. Hmm. I think you can take anything you want and you can put it any, you know what I'm saying? Like, Rauschenberg sure. would use, like, found materials all the time to put sand on his paintings and stuff. You I know? totally agree. And you see a lot of work that is being produced with these very efficient, high-tech machines that is crap. Well, this yeah, is just total this is crap. The, this is the Hegelian kind of uh, fight, right? That, that some system kind of impresses itself upon the world, and then people are like, "Wait a second, I don't like this. This is too perfect. I don't want. I don't want things to be quantized on my on my record track. So I'm going to go back to you know really low fi low fidelity. And mm. it's just all you're always responding and trying to find some freedom and space and some new sound or whatever so that you can come across. So I think that's also part. Can I just say also? Sure. You know, it's very hard to measure competitiveness. 80 years ago, rich people didn't want to be artists, for example. It would have been disgraceful. No, but they become, wanted to buy it. No, I know, but I'm saying something different. You know, the, the amount of people going into the arts was so small in, like, the 1920s. It was really a tiny group of people who would approach the arts. Wealthy people did not want to be a singer or anything like that. It would have been disgraceful. And so... And also the audience was smaller. If you're Samuel Beckett and, you know, 80 critics like your play, you're in the canon. You know, Waiting for Godot was, was seen by 200 people, whatever it is. I'm not saying it's not a great work, but sure. the circle deciding what was art was so much smaller. So few people were going into it. I, it's very hard to know what's more and more competitive. I will say this, and this goes to what he's saying at the end about where you get your money in, in the future. When the record labels fell apart, because I had a front row seat on this, because I was in New York right when this was happening, the CDs started falling apart in 96, 97. And I knew people in the music industry, both as corporate people and also... When that happened, I think it led to more bands actually getting an audience overall. Well, well hold on. yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. hold on. I mean, that more makes a lot of sense. More bands getting an audience, but no bands actually getting signed or getting not, anything. or like becoming the Beatles or U2 or having so much institutional weight behind them that they were able to do these big works that the whole public understood and fed into. I think Radiohead might be the last one. Radiohead could be the last one. And so that and you put the dates on that and it makes a lot of sense that they were the last ones and they have been relentless in trying to find different models for getting money. I mean, they were like the first band to, to drop something just on the internet yeah. when they did In Rainbows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so and they dropped their they dropped their record contract. So he, let's just go to the last part of what he's saying. And, or actually, let's make a choice now. We're on our feet. Do we want to talk about the last part of his article? Do we want to talk more about what's going on in New York today? And actually, I would like to really hear a little bit more I think so. We have yeah. Ian here. Why so not? So Ian's a young artist, and he's living in New York City, and we know a little bit about that. 
What well, I'd you... like to learn a little bit more about your story. So my story. Yeah, just you, you know, you decided that you wanted to pursue poetry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I knew when I was young that I liked writing and 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 words and stuff. A lot of my friends were into film, um, and I was into watching film, but I didn't think I was there was going to be any way I was going to be able to make it. Um, and. Uh, yeah, and uh, through that, I think, I don't know, I maybe had this idea when I was, like, 13, like, that I could try my hand at scripts, and that didn't, I don't know, I didn't really get that into that, and then, I don't know, around when I was in maybe sophomore year, junior year of high school, I found, like, Bukowski, and, like, you showed me Mayakovsky, um, and, uh... Yeah, it just kind of spiraled from there. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a long, long hard thing to watch. Yeah, no, it's been it's been a it's been a hard fall. We've had interventions, but yeah. they have not worked. No, you've decided that you want to be an artist. Do you think? Uh, yeah. Let me throw this at you, and this is kind of specific. Sure. New York City's dead. Young yeah. people should not be there. No, they should move it's to Philly. Too, they should move to Philly. I don't even know Philly. You might want to go further out. Go to Youngstown, go to Ohio. Cleveland. Go to Detroit. Go to these go burned to out houses. Go to Baltimore yeah. because Providence. money has killed art in New York. It has yeah. killed it. It has killed it. So, yeah. and yet there's millions of young aspiring artists there, smart, attractive young artists who are in New York City. <laughs> and what do you want to tell them? Well, I, I want to give you license <laughs> to blow it up and move on to some other place. I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know if I have enough experience to to tell all these kids what to do in New York. Um, you tell them I told you. And you told like, me when I went to New York to tell you when I got my ass beat. Okay, so just careful <laughs> with the words. But yes, no, I did not say that. I said, <laughs> what are you going to say when New York hands you your beep? And you never answered. Um... Well, that's because it hands because it hands happened. it to me all the time. Right. That's the thing. And so, what do you say? In you know, what what do you say to New York when it hands you your behind? I mean, in some ways, that's why you're there, isn't it? You had yeah. an opportunity to leave, but then you decided to stay. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I definitely won't say that it's the allure. Like I when like I say, I hate New York all the time, um, and I love New York too. You know, there are things that I hate about it, and there are things that I. I appreciate about it, um, but to be an artist there now nowadays, especially at my age, uh, man, you're yeah. I mean, first of all, you're talking about like a heavily oversaturated market. Um, you know, you're also talking about. I mean, New York might make sense for somebody who who wants to be an artist because everybody else there also wants to be an artist and if they're into the competition or maybe that's like some sort of or the conversation yeah exactly the conversation I mean this article did talk about how you know a lot of movements were bred out of people um, just like holding up in rooms and having these theoretical conversations and I think that you know that stuff's important um, but I don't know I'm not going to try to dissuade anybody from moving to New York no I'm not asking you to dissuade anybody I'm asking you to go back down there and yeah. kidnap 20 of your best friends. I actually <laughs> wanted to write a short story at one point where I kidnapped all my artist friends and forced them to move very far away. Really? Yeah, and didn't tell them where we I were. I think it's funny you think I have 20 friends. <laughs> 20, I don't know, 20 people. Uh, <laughs> by the way, not a bad name for the show, Undisclosed Location. 
That's not a bad name, too. And it's definitely on a day like this, it totally feels like we're in an undisclosed sure. location. I don't know. I've been actually thinking about it, Ian. Yeah. And I just, I would just love to see young artists just start getting like, you know what? Just let's just go blow, blow this blow this system up a little bit. Mm. Uh, we don't need to go and get our MFAs. We don't need to do any of that. We don't need to do anything. And what we're but what we are going to do is try to um, extricate ourselves from institutions as much as possible. I mean, those a lot of those movements are like some of the movements that have certainly like defined a lot of what art exactly today or like how people make art today are like so. and I think it's overdue um, I yeah. think the institutions of art uh, you know institutionalization in art is a hard thing because you know for one you you, you want to know things right you want to learn about or about the history of, of other stuff and who sure. and who better to learn that from than you know I don't know somebody who's got a doctorate in something like that well, I mean you know I don't know Robin and I are a little old school. You're a little old school and not not into the academia. Um, not necessarily. I mean, it has its place, but I've just seen so much work where I'm like, why, why did you get on stage like that? Like, like let's. Why are we even on stage? Like, why aren't we doing stuff in parking lots? Like, why why aren't we moving out from the white box? Like, I mean, that's, that's a good question. Do. Well, you know. If anybody who really knows me knows that, like, I don't really, you know, if 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 a trend's going one way, I'm probably just going to go right down that waterfall the opposite direction. So, yeah. um, mostly just because I find that more interesting. Exactly. Um, you know, you know, my brother gives me uh, gives me grief a lot for, and and I have other friends who give me a lot of grief who just tell me that, you know, I'm only saying this because I don't want to give in to like the mainstream like whatever um that you're a contrarian yeah but uh i don't know i think that <laughs> i i don't know i i think that being i think there's definitely value in being a contrarian yeah some people might think that you're snobbish or prissy or whatever let me, but, find um, ground, right? let me just give you a quick example please yeah yeah I was talking to my buddy Tom this morning in front of Cooper's Corner, and we were talking about Eric Schuer, who owns all these nightclubs mm-hmm. in Northampton, and, and how people are always complaining. And it's to me, it's like, why are you complaining about Eric Schuer? Like, go find some other place to do your music. Like, go rent out the VFW. Like, get creative. If sure. that's the way it is, if these are the venues, why, why be slavish to the fact that these are the venues? You know, and Collider does a good job of doing that, and, like, that's what's required. Like, if things get too stiff, then you need to... Well, because, again, it goes back to people wanting an audience because nobody wants to play a show with no one there. Well, then you got to hustle, my friend. And speaking of hustle, believe it or not, we, we lucky three, we have spent the hour talking about art, which is a privilege in of itself. Now, at the end of every episode, we talk about what's happening in the next week. And we are, like, butting against a uh, time in which we're going to have to relinquish the studio. So, Ian, what are you going to do in the next week, pal? Uh, next week, I'm going to go uh, go to my apartment in, in Brooklyn. I'm gonna, there's going to be a party on my roof there, some friends. So, How romantic the, is that? Uh, you know, it's somewhat romantic. Maybe we'll jump or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, you know, I got, I got classes in a couple weeks. So. It's exciting. Sure. New York City, greatest city in the world. Robin, what are you going to do in the next week? 
Looking forward to getting back to work, babe. Let's get back to work. I'm ironing my shirts as we speak. There's actually, I'm in the studio. You guys can't see me, but this whole time I've been ironing my shirts and pants as I've been doing this show because that's my resolution this year is to not look so rumpled in front of my students. Anyway, listen, next time we talk, the second hour might have a name. Uh, it may not. We have to, we're going to run it by Waylon. Robin and I feel like we've got something good, but Waylon is, you know, he's a very picky customer. We're so glad that you join us. We're so grateful for this uh, platform here in the Valley. The Crystal Ship is now docking back on campus, back into the bottom of the neo-brutalist Soviet structure with no water. Have a great week, guys. Ciao.